Well, again, happy Easter. Happy Easter to everyone. We're so glad that you're here today. We have a wonderful crowd here in person. I know we have a lot of folks watching us online and celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, today. What a great, great blessing that our world does that. Pauses for a few moments to remember this story that is not often remembered um, by some in our world. And so even though, as we told the kids, we don't know exactly when this occurred, we don't have any specific scripture that says we're to pay special mind to this once a year, scripture tells us to do this every Sunday. But at the same time, what a blessing, what a blessing that around the world, people are remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ this weekend. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing, and especially drawing our minds to the mighty truth, as our shepherd David Wick said, that Jesus is living, that he lives today just as we have sung, and that he is alive forevermore. And just as Danny shared around the table today, it is enough. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is enough. And what a great blessing that is. So it's nice to know that we're all together. It's nice to know that we have family things going on today, or even if you don't have family things going on today, that it's such a special day to pause and remember uh, the wonderful story that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Uh, You know, John Ortberg tells a story in one of his books about an incident that he heard about. There was a, a church official who uh, would, would go to some of the rural communities. And he would go with a funeral director. They would go in the hearse, and they would go from small town to small town to where there were uh, either smaller churches with no minister or no church at all. And they would hold funerals for people that was, were in need of a minister and in need of a special funeral service. And so they would do that, and they would go from town to town. Well, on one of those trips, the man who was going with him, the church official said, well, I'm, I'm getting kind of tired. I think I'm just going to lie down in the back and take a nap. No, thank you. <laughs> but okay. I guess if I were more familiar with that, I would be okay with that. But I don't know. And, uh, and so they were traveling along, and he was fast asleep in the back. Well, the driver, the undertaker, noticed that he was getting a little bit low on gas. So he decided to stop at a service station and, and get some gas in the car. Well, and this was one of those, not a convenience store, this was an actual service station where they come out and they check things and do the gas for you and all of that. Well, <laughs> so the service station attendant was already a little nervous because he was standing by the hearse, giving, putting gas in, and then he happened to notice that there was a body lying in the back of the hearse. Well, that nearly set him off right there, but then after a few minutes the man woke up. And so he gets up and he sees the service station attendant out there and he just kind of sits up a little bit and then knocks on the window. (laughs) And he said the man took off and he'd never seen anyone run that fast, ever, ever. (laughs) Well, I can imagine that that's kind of what happened when they saw Jesus alive. They were expecting him to be dead. They were expecting the stone to be at the tomb. They were not expecting the tomb to be empty. And yet it was. They were not expecting Jesus to be alive. And yet he was. 
And that's one of the reasons, I think, why one of the first things that they hear, whether it's from an angel or from Jesus himself, is what? Don't be afraid. (laughs) I get that. Or uh, peace be with you. Because it's such an unsettling and surprising thing. Shouldn't have been surprising, probably, because Jesus told them over and over and over and over again that this was going to happen. But when it actually did happen, it was such a shock. And that fear and that uh, uh, questioning, that amazement was ultimately replaced with tremendous and great joy. Joy at the resurrection. And I'm sure that that's exactly the way they felt when they were there and they saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Acts 1 gives us a little bit of that story. They were just standing there gawking, watching as he went into heaven until two angels come along and they say, why are you standing here? The same Jesus who you just saw go into heaven, he's going to come back again. He's going to return just like he left. And the understanding was, in the meantime, there is work to be done. In the meantime, there are things that need to happen There's work for you to do. And Jesus had shared with them and with us what that work is to go everywhere and spread his message. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. We look forward to that. That is our hope. This month we're looking at the Lord's Supper in a study called the Church's Family Meal. And we've shared about the biblical foundation of that in the first lesson, the scripture that tells us about the Lord's Supper. We've shared about the historical background last week as we looked at the history of of centuries, really 2,000 years of people of faith partaking of the Lord's Supper. We shared about that last week. Next week, we're going to look specifically at 1 Corinthians 11 and draw some conclusions from this story about the Lord's Supper. But today, today... We're looking at the hope. There's something we don't typically consider when we partake of the Lord's Supper, and that's his return. And yet, as we gather around the table and as we partake of the Lord's Supper together each week, it also announces and confesses and acknowledges and proclaims our hope and our belief in the death, burial, and resurrection and return of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, in that context says this, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, what's the rest of it? Until he comes. Until he comes. In the midst of a chapter that speaks specifically in this section about the Lord's Supper, there is that great statement that says this is a proclamation. It's a confession. And it's a confession not just that Jesus came, not just that he died, not even just that the tomb is empty, but that he is coming again. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So a few things about this Lord's Supper that we have taken today based on this verse, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. First of all, the Lord's Supper is our proclamation. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. 
you proclaim his death, his burial, his resurrection, of course, also understood there, until he comes. The Lord's Supper is our proclamation. And in that proclamation, just as we have seen in the last couple of of weeks, I remember. I remember. The Lord's Supper enables us and allows us to be able to look ahead to his return. But in doing that, it allows us to remember. I remember when I partake of this Lord's Supper, when I proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, what is it that I specifically remember? I remember Jesus' sacrifice. But more specifically, I remember Jesus died for me. I remember it was my sins that were washed away from the blood of that cross. I remember that it was my salvation that Jesus died to secure. And so as we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, we remember, we remember Jesus' sacrifice on that cross. We remember that the tomb was found empty and we remember that he died for me. There's a couple of instances in the New Testament that talk about something similar. It's it's actually not a Lord's Supper, Uh, But it's very, very similar. And it's interesting the reaction and the response and the purpose that it has. In Luke chapter 24 is one of those uh, uh, appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. And Jesus, as you know, is talking to these two men on the road to Emmaus. And once they get there, they invite him to stay. He's about to leave, but they say, no, stay and eat with us. And so one person has said, this guest becomes host. And in these verses in Luke chapter 24, Jesus himself takes the bread, gives thanks and blesses it, breaks it and gives it to them. And it's at that moment that they remember. It's at that moment that they realize this is Jesus. This is Jesus. He's alive and he's right here with us. And then Jesus, of course, is taken from them. And then they run back to tell the others. And and when they do, they say in that last verse, we recognized him when he broke the bread. The Lord's Supper is our proclamation and it helps us to remember. In Acts 27 is that exciting narrative of of Paul on a, on a journey on a ship to Rome. And as he's going across the Mediterranean Sea, it's, it's, just, it's just horrible. There's a bad storm. Uh, there's ultimately a shipwreck. But in the meantime, the sailors have to do a lot of work and they literally have to get ropes and swim under the, the ship and tie the, the boat together. And then they throw off the cargo and then they throw off the tackle. And finally, Paul steps up and he says, look, guys, It's been two weeks and you haven't eaten a thing. Let's let's stop for a minute and let's eat. And Paul took the bread. And he blessed it. And he broke it. And they ate. And then right after that, they tossed the rest of the grain into the sea also. Trying to save their lives. Well, those two incidences were not Lord's Supper. But they were times of remembrance, times of remembrance, and they would have an impact on the church even to this 
day. The Lord's Supper is our proclamation. I remember Jesus' sacrifice. Secondly, the Lord's Supper is our confession. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper is our confession. In taking the Lord's Supper, we are saying and confessing and proclaiming, I believe. I believe. It's a very concrete way of expressing that. Just as Danny said, nothing fancy about the meal. It's the typical stuff, bread and fruit of the vine. Nothing special, nothing uh, exorbitant. Just earthy stuff, food and drink. But it's so powerful because it calls to mind the greatest event of all. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is our confession. We say, I believe, but believe what? I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We spoke in some of our adult Bible classes today about that great chapter of Matthew 28 and the resurrection story. And we were reminded of how Jesus said all along that this was going to happen, how Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, how Jesus accepted worship, which in any other case would have been blasphemy. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper, when we partake of that bread and that cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim, I believe. I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. That he died on the cross for our sins. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. I believe that. With all of my heart, I think it's one of the most credible things that you can find in the Bible, the story of that resurrection and how it occurred and where it occurred and when it occurred. It was an incredible statement right there in the same city. Just a few days later, with the tomb right down the trail, (laughs) instead of going to the tomb and producing the body, when they said he's raised from the dead, they paid off the guards to tell a lie to protect them. Instead of going to the empty tomb and and seeing the body still in it, they tried to destroy the church. And for the first several years, it was right there in the same city, still in Jerusalem, when all of this great preaching began and all of the people started turning by the thousands to follow this one that they claimed was raised from the dead. And yet no one, not any Jews, not any Romans, right there in the same city of Jerusalem was able to silence them. Why is that? Because there was no body of Christ in that tomb. I believe that. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Coach Tony Dungy and now uh, sports commentator uh, Tony Dungy brings some of this out in, in his devotional book. And he talks about a few different people who were touched by the power and the blessing of Jesus Christ. A leper who was healed. A man whose daughter had been sick and then died and was raised from the dead by Jesus. And two sisters, Mary and Martha, you know them well, who sent word to Jesus to try to get him to come and heal their brother, but because Jesus waited too long, their brother died, and yet he raised him from the dead. All three of them believed. They believed what Jesus said. They believed in the miracles they saw or perhaps had heard of. 
But Coach Dungy goes on and he says this, Don't confuse understanding with believing. None of them understood. Most things about Jesus were far beyond their limited minds and capabilities to understand. Count me in that group. Count me in that group too, coach. I don't understand a lot of those things and how they happen, but I believe them. I believe them with all of my heart. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper together, we are announcing that. We are proclaiming that. We are confessing that. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The Lord's Supper is our proclamation. I remember the Lord's Supper is our confession. I believe, and thirdly today, the Lord's Supper is our hope. It is our hope. For as often as you drink, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper is our hope, and so I trust. I don't just believe. I don't just acknowledge. I don't just remember. I don't just know. I trust. I trust. I trust that Jesus will return and take me to live with him forever. We proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection until he comes, and that is our hope. I am trusting in him. I am trusting in his return. I am trusting that I too will be raised from the dead. In the Lord's Supper, we look ahead as we spoke about the Passover connection uh, in the first lesson this month. We talked about how the Passover observance did several things. Number one, it called on them to look up to the one who provided their hope and their salvation and their deliverance. And we do the same. We look up to Jesus. It also told them to look back to look back at their salvation history, to look back at all the times that God had been there for them and delivered them. And we do the same. We look back at the presence of God, at the presence of Jesus Christ, at the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then we look around. The Passover observance was a community meal, and we'll share more about that next week. Just as the Lord's Supper is a community meal, it is the church's family meal. We share it together. But they also were willing and called in the Passover to look ahead. Look ahead, not just today, but look ahead. Realizing that the one who has delivered us before will deliver us again, will deliver us always. The Lord's Supper is our hope. I trust that Jesus will return and take me to live with him forever. And so whereas I believe in these stories and I believe in the inspired and authoritative scripture, I also trust in the one who died for me that he will come again and that he will take me to be with him for eternity. This great passage of scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4 is read a lot at memorial services and rightly so. 
Because Paul is writing to the church in modern-day Greece in the city of Thessalonica, and they're, and, and they're all worried because some of their loved ones have died and Jesus hadn't come yet. That's how uh, much the first Christians anticipated his return. They were worried because he hadn't come, and it's been all of 20 years. <laughs> and so Paul writes to them, being the good pastor, shepherd, apostle that he was, and he tells them, look, don't worry about them. They're good. They're good. In fact, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are alive will be taken up together as well. And we'll all have this happy reunion with Jesus. And we will be with the Lord forever. The Lord's Supper is our hope. I trust that Jesus will return and take me to live with him forever. The Lord's Supper is the church's family meal. Through the Lord's Supper, the church's family meal, we can make several statements. Through the Lord's Supper, the church's family meal, we are reminded every week of what Jesus did for us. For as often, Paul had said, as you eat this bread and drink this cup. As we saw last week, churches for centuries, Christians for at least 1,500 years and then more afterwards. The predominant time that you took communion was every single Lord's Day. We are reminded every week of what Jesus did for us. Through the Lord's Supper, the church's family meal, we confess that we believe Jesus is our Savior and Lord of all. We'll sing the song in a few moments. Jesus paid it all. It is enough. It is enough. And when we partake of that Bread, And when we partake of that fruit of the vine, we confess that we believe Jesus is our Savior and Lord. And finally, through the Lord's Supper, the church's family meal, we refuse to be anything but hopeful as we consider our eternal home. I tell you, we live in cynical times. We live in times of fear. We live in times of doubt times of question, and I'm okay with that out there. I am not okay with that in here. Because no political leader, past, present, or future, ever died for you and was raised from the dead for you, but there is one that was. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave his life, was buried for three days, and then was raised from the dead. And now, 2,000 years later, the tomb is still empty, and the hope is still there. We refuse to be anything but hopeful as we consider our eternal home. Why? Because there is victory in Jesus. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. That's how our service will end today. This morning, if you need to come to that Jesus, come as we stand and sing this song together.